Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Friday, one day before Ole Miss takes on Kentucky. We're already to week two. Once the season gets here, it just flies, absolutely flies by. We waited all COVID summer long and then an additional few weeks, and that felt like it just took forever, and now it's already week two. But welcome into the Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Say whatever you want about me if you just drop a five-star. I couldn't care less as long as the stars are there. Um, Anyway, it is good to be with you. Don't forget to um, follow me on Twitter as well, at Michael Borky. Very clever, creative name uh, that you get from me on Twitter. Kind of uh, on-brand for me, though. Uh, not, Not the most creative guy in the world. So, anyway, let's get into this. A few things for you. Uh, Ole Miss has success on the recruiting trail over the last couple of days, both of which on the defensive side of the ball, and there's anticipation that they might even get another commit today. So I spent two podcasts this week telling you that Ole Miss has a uh, Jimmy's and Joe's problem on defense, and the only way they're really getting out of this is if they recruit their way out of it, and it looks like they are doing just that. The defensive class is setting up very nicely for Ole Miss, and they got a couple of important additions yesterday. I'm going to look at uh, the latest, even though there really isn't a whole lot of news when it comes to Otis Reese, but you've gotten some clarity from the SEC. A couple of other guys in a similar situation to Otis Reese have been cleared. You might even see one play on Saturday and uh, what the latest is there. I've also got picks for you, and then an interview at the end of the podcast with Derek Terry of Cat's Paws. That was an interview that Richard did, but I'm going to play it here on this podcast because I can do whatever I want. So thank you for making the show a part of your day again. Before we get into all that, I do want to remind you that the show is brought to you every day by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue there in Oxford. Go by and see Greg and tell him we sent you. The weather's going to be beautiful. Ole Miss is on the road. You likely can't go since they keep that road fan ticket limit to about 500 so get your weekend started behind the grill and get your meat from LB's the best place in Mississippi to do that there's still time if you're listening to this the second it gets published to stop by and get one of their daily lunch specials that's Monday through Friday but they are open seven days a week so go by LB's just across from Kroger University Avenue go see Greg tell him we sent you and um, let's get started And I spent a lot of this summer describing to you uh, the recruiting challenges that Ole Miss is facing. Uh, No official visitors with a brand new staff. I mean, none. And that has been extended through the year, even though you have multiple prospects, a lot of them, uh, asking for that to be changed. The NCAA currently thinks that um, it's a good thing that nobody can go visit a prospective destination for their collegiate career through the end of the year. Uh, It's a bad rule, it's stupid, it doesn't make any sense, but that's what the NCAA does. Ole Miss has, and Mississippi State too, and and Missouri and Arkansas, any new staff has been um, doubly challenged by putting together a recruiting class when they couldn't have junior days, couldn't have people in for the spring, can't have official visitors, any of that stuff. It just can't happen. The deck has been stacked against them, as I've said many times on this podcast, and that is why... 
discussing recruiting rankings over the summer was either silly or needed appropriate context. And I did a podcast a while ago, and a lot of you probably listened to it, where I put things into perspective, into context, when it comes to Ole Miss and the recruiting class. And uh, that fell on deaf ears for some. But this is why I told you then what I'm telling you now. This coaching staff, even with all the things against it, with no visitors and things like that, is going to recruit well. But they're going to recruit differently than they're used to. It's going to be far more pragmatic. They are not offering kids just to offer them. They're not signing kids just because they're from a certain place. They're not building up a class full of numbers to look good in the rankings in the summer. They are doing it differently. They're handpicking players that they can get, that they feel that they can actually win with, And they are not just throwing out offers to guys that they know are not good enough to play in the SEC. They're not doing that. It's it's slower, it's more pragmatic, but it's also done with a purpose. And so when you looked at recruiting rankings two, three months ago, when Ole Miss had six or seven commits, yes, it didn't look good in that moment. But unless you looked at it through a lens of context, um you were doing it wrong, whether it be on purpose or not. And I told you at the time, the staff is too good, and they're doing it differently. And they're adding talent in different ways as well with transfers and things like that. But when it comes to just signing a recruiting class, any kind of negative or even positive thought back in the summer was a stupid thing to do, honestly. And yesterday and this week has proven that. Ole Miss got two commits, and according to my buddy Zach Barry, they're uh, poised to get another one today. Now, I, I could be wrong, or he could be wrong, I guess, so I'm not going to really break down a commitment that um, may or may not happen. But it could be three defensive players this week uh, for Ole Miss. But right now, let's talk about the two they actually did get. And the first one, I think this happened, I think it was Wednesday night, late Wednesday night. Uh, Tysheem Johnson uh, committed to Ole Miss over offers from almost everybody. Uh, I mean, it sounded like he was down to Arizona State and Ole Miss, but there were hats of LSU and Alabama and stuff like that on the table. High-profile four-star prospect from Philadelphia. No, not the one with the casinos, you know, out uh, off of 25, I think it is. Um, no, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Four-star kid from Philadelphia, the number nine player in the state of Pennsylvania, is going to Ole Miss. He's a multi-positional guy. Most people think he's going to play in the secondary when he arrives at Ole Miss, but he is a two-way player right now in high school. Had a bunch of offers from uh, basically, like I said, basically everybody. Did a really long commitment video. It was like six and a half minutes long or something like that, so... I didn't watch it. I let somebody else watch it and tell me whether or not he committed to Ole Miss. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's listed at 5'9", 180, but um, a supreme athlete and the kind of guy um, that Ole Miss covets when it comes to rebuilding that defense to make it SEC quality. And that's kind of the point I've been making. And it applies to this next guy as well. They're going to get players from wherever they can get them. Ole Miss somehow went into Penn State's backyard in Big Ten country and got the number nine player in that state. 
a high-profile four-star player. It doesn't matter where they come from as long as they come to uh, Ole Miss, of course. And then the other guy they get, this was last night, a guy whose name you might be familiar with if you follow recruiting closely, uh, Jamon Gordon, uh, committed to Ole Miss uh, over um, a plethora of offers from other schools. He's currently at East Mississippi, but you may remember him from his high school recruiting. He was from Meridian and chose to go to Auburn instead of Matt Luke's Ole Miss. He is now uh, going to stay in Mississippi and go to Ole Miss. So they get secondary help, they get defensive line help in a matter of this week. That's what I've been talking about right there. You don't sign kids just to sign kids. You you don't sign kids because of where they're from. You get players that can help you win in the SEC West, whether they be from Mississippi or not. And here's a perfect example of that. They get two players, one of which is from Pennsylvania. But he's the kind of athlete that you can win with in the SEC. The other guy they get from Mississippi, only because he's the kind of guy that can help you win in the SEC. Jamon Gordon is not signing with Ole Miss because he's from here. Lane Kiffin and company wanted Jamon Gordon because you can win games with his kind of athlete. So I wasn't saying ignore the state. I wasn't saying, well, if there's a four-star in our backyard, you know, screw him. Let's go get the guy in Pennsylvania. No, it's you get the best players you can get from wherever they come from. And last night was a great example of that. You don't have to only sign kids from Mississippi to sign kids from Mississippi. It worked out perfectly. This is a recruiting strategy that is it's bearing fruit now, and you can see it with your own eyes. You go get the best players you can get from wherever they come from, and if they come from Mississippi, great. But you do not sign kids from here unless you know they can help you on the field. This is a forward-thinking, pragmatic recruiting strategy that also is one of, of a staff that thinks that they can win at a high level. I don't know if you guys watched the season, I encourage you to at least fast forward to the end of this latest episode just to see what Lane Kiffin said to his team after the game. Some people may not like this, uh, but he basically, he didn't say, I'm proud of you. He didn't say, you guys fought hard. Proud of you guys. I love you guys. You worked hard. You fought hard today. Just came up short. No, he said, "Um, nobody here is going to tell you good job because it doesn't matter if the score is two to nothing or... 60 to 58. If you lost the game, you lost the game and nothing else matters. So nobody here is going to tell you good job. We're not accepting losing here. So let's get focused and get a win next week. That was his message to the team after the game. This is a guy that whether or not he can do it and whether or not he'll be at Ole Miss for for one year or, or a decade believes that if he's going to be coaching, he's going to do it to try to win at the highest level. Uh, accepting of mediocrity is not something that he's willing to do, clearly. And that means he's not accepting mediocre players. And he's not accepting a mediocre mindset. Ole Miss in the past has done that. And there are some fans that kind of still have that, that think that, you know, oh, we just we shouldn't even think about trying to, to win a national championship because we can't do it here. I mean, there was a lot of that over the last three years defending mediocrity. Wayne Kiffin's not accepting that. He's not accepting mediocre players, and he's not accepting a mediocre mindset. It's different 
he actually, I, I truly think he actually believes he can do it. Hugh Freeze believed he could do it. He didn't have the structure or the experience or the mentality to to get it done long term, as as you guys know. But he believed you could do it. Lane Giffen believes you can do it too. And you're seeing that bear itself out. For what it's worth, um, Ole Miss is still in the 50s in recruiting rankings because they have fewer commits. I'm looking at rivals just for consistency. Uh, They have uh, fewer commits than everybody but Penn State, ironically, in front of them. And, uh, of course, having more commits gets you more points that go to you towards your rankings, and so once Ole Miss fills a class to the level of most everybody in front of them, they will obviously continue to shoot up. For what it's worth, the um, the 2019 class had six four-stars in it. Currently, Ole Miss has four of them and only 14 commits, one of which um, is not even rated yet, does not have a profile uh, rating just yet. Um. The 2019 class had two more four-stars, 31 commits, and were the number 22 class in the country. So, as Ole Miss currently sits, if that similar uh, number brings a similar ranking, Ole Miss is poised to be in the teens if they keep this up. It's important to apply context to recruiting rankings. I will say that forever. And a lot of times people pushing narratives, it kind of gets lost on them uh, when they do stuff like this. And they kind of sound silly when it happens. But Ole Miss right now is in very, very good shape to sign a top 20 recruiting class in a COVID year. That's a real thing. That's not projecting. That is that is just the truth. They are in position to sign a class that is ranked in the teens if they keep this up and a year where they couldn't have any official visitors. And uh, we'll see today um, if they get another one. Devin Lee's his name, by the way, defensive tackle, um, is uh, the guy that is possibly committing to uh, today to Ole Miss, so we will see. All right, moving on here. Um, still nothing on Otis Reese, at least publicly. In case you missed it, the SEC this week basically gave blanket approval to every player seeking immediate eligibility. So the SEC had a separate rule from the NCAA that banned interconference transfers. I think we've talked about this before. That, that, that banned it. So even if the NCAA gave you approval, the SEC would not let you, unless you're a graduate, transfer interconference and play right away. There was a one-year penalty. That got taken away in a vote this week, or it would have been taken away in a vote this week, but I guess Sankey just decided to take it upon himself to blanket approve Cade Mays and Joey Getwood, for example. We know for sure. Don't know if this applies to Otis Reese, but the presumption is it does. But apparently Ole Miss is still waiting on the NCAA. It's possible that they're doing the same thing they did with Dean Leonard last week, and have gotten his approval, but aren't announcing it to the world just because, uh, you know, what's the point? Why give Kentucky uh, any information about you that you can keep from them? So maybe that's possible here. But as far as public knowledge goes, Otis Reese did not play last Saturday. It didn't happen. So, I mean, he didn't get his approval as of last game week. 
What what is frustrating is that Cade Mays, for example, left the same place that Otis Reese left. Different reason, but left the same place. Also, there was something weird that happened um, why he applied for his waiver. So it wasn't like he just left Georgia and everything was peachy. He left Georgia and there was some kind of weird reason behind it. He can play Saturday. I mean, that, that's been made public. He can play Saturday. Otis Reese cannot. Joey Gatewood, a quarterback, transferred from Auburn to Kentucky. Ole Miss might have to play against him this weekend. He's been cleared. He's good to go. And yet, as of earlier this week, Otis Reese was not cleared to play. Um, and then on top of that, Mississippi State got a basketball player, interconference as well, approved to play right away. Which I think is the right call, and it's good for Mississippi State. Like I, that That's what should happen. He should be eligible right away. I'm glad that he got his eligibility. That's the right call. But why the hell is a basketball player who transferred after the football player getting his waiver reviewed and approved any decision? before the football player whose season is underway. And, and then the schools and the people that that really control the NCAA just sit back and let this kind of crap go by. I, I mean, it's, it's shameful what happens, and yet nobody does anything about it. Why does a basketball player who transferred after Otis Reese get his waiver seen, reviewed, and decided on before Otis Reese does. The basketball season's two months away still. Otis Reese has already basically served a one-game suspension. Of course, you can't explain it, but explain that to me. Why anybody thinks that this is okay, that this governing body of college sports, that this is okay the way they do this. Even if he plays Saturday, the fact that it happened this way is shameful and nobody's going to do anything about it. So we'll see. By the way, uh, on the the Gatewood thing, I I got a text from a buddy yesterday that was like, oh shit, Gatewood's eligible. That's not good for Ole Miss. I I mean, guys, if Joey Gatewood's the difference between a win and a loss, you weren't beating Kentucky anyway. What is it about Gatewood that scares anybody? He's had a a few dozen pass attempts in his college career. He's a different guy than Wilson. I mean, people think he's probably a better thrower, but he's got no experience at all. He's a big guy, but what is it about him that scares you? And apparently reporting out of Kentucky is that Terry Wilson is taking all the snaps with the ones. That could just be a smokescreen, but that is the word out there. But Terry, I don't understand where the fear, the possible fear is coming from. I don't think he's the only one who thinks that Gatewood is going to be some kind of X factor. Um, and again, I'll, I'll say this again, if Joey Gatewood's the difference, you weren't beating Kentucky anyway. I don't think it makes any bit of a difference, and I, I'm still picking the game the way I told you I would on Monday, Gatewood or no Gatewood. It doesn't make a difference to me. An inexperienced backup quarterback getting his eligibility waiver approved does not change the way I think about this game uh, at all whatsoever. Speaking of, let's dive into the picks right now. Uh, I will start with Ole Miss because I just mentioned it. I think uh, the the line has dropped a couple of points, or a couple of half of points anyway. It started at seven in some places, or six and a half. Now the line is down to six. 
Ole Miss less than a touchdown underdog, and I will take the points in this game. Money where my mouth is on this one. Um, I think Ole Miss's explosive offense is one that Kentucky cannot match. I don't believe in Terry Wilson. I never have. I think Ole Miss will do a better job defensively by default, but I think the front seven was a little bit better against the run than the stats bored out against Florida. Kentucky does not have the horses to keep up with Ole Miss scoring the football. So that's what I think the difference is. Ole Miss's explosive offense versus a Kentucky offense that will struggle. Could be, or that has struggled. May not struggle on Saturday, but could be a shootout, and I like Ole Miss's offense quarterback weapons more than I do Kentucky's in that style of play. So I am taking Ole Miss plus the six in this one. Around the SEC, South Carolina is a 17.5-point underdog at Florida. I think this is an easy call. Florida will cover that easily. Um, I think Will Muschamp, even after COVID, is probably going to be shown the door. You you saw coaching incompetence last week against Tennessee. Florida's a completely different animal. I know it's two touchdowns and a field goal and a half. I don't care. Florida covers at 17.5 easily. Missouri at Tennessee, it's a big line. So I'm going to take Missouri because of it. Tennessee, minus 12. Garantano was inconsistent and at times pretty crappy last Saturday against a South Carolina team that I think is kind of on par with Missouri. I like Eli Drinkwitz. I think they showed some things when they were overmatched against Alabama. Tennessee's not Alabama. Close game. I don't care who wins, but I think it will not exceed 12 points in favor of the Vols. Texas A&M at Alabama, Alabama minus 17.5, another big line, one that I think that they will cover. I think this is an Alabama team that's going to run through the SEC. I think you saw why last Saturday. Texas A&M and Kellen Mond, I mean, Isaiah Spiller's good, but Alabama's going to be able to stop Isaiah Spiller, force the ball into Kellen Mond's hands, and he does not look any better than he was a year ago. Could be a low-scoring game early, but Alabama easily covers that 17.5. Auburn, plus six and a half at Georgia. I think wrong team favored here. Auburn's going to go into Athens and win the game, but I'm definitely taking the six and a half. Who the hell knows what Georgia's doing at quarterback? I certainly don't. I have not a clue what Georgia's going to be doing at quarterback. And as a result of that, Auburn, the more known commodity, better defense than what Georgia saw last week. I think the wrong team's favored here. I'm taking the six and a half points. Arkansas plus 17 at Mississippi State. Pretty significant line after Mississippi State's offensive explosion. I do expect to be a kind of a low-scoring, kind of sloppy game early. I do think, and this apparently, according to the people on the radio show, this is kind of a hot take, but I do think Arkansas is better at quarterback than what Mississippi State saw from LSU last week. I think Arkansas is better at running back than what Mississippi State saw last week, but everything else that Arkansas has is worse. I'm going to take the 17 points. I'm not in love with it because I think Arkansas is actually going to run a zone defense on Saturday, which is something that LSU refused to do, but Arkansas doesn't have the horses that LSU did, and I think Mississippi State will pull away later in the game after an early struggle and cover the 17. And finally, LSU at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, by the way, wearing beautiful helmets. The rest of the uniform is awful, but the helmets look incredible. Got the Nashville skyline on the back plate. Uh, Script Vandy from the 80s that they used to wear on the helmet. Looks really good. They're going to look good. They're not going to play good, but 21 points is too big 
I think Vanderbilt's going to cover at home. The game's going to be terrible. God bless anybody that tries to watch this garbage football game. But I do think Vanderbilt's going to cover those 21 points. So there are your picks for the weekend. Uh, I went 4-3 and three last weekend. Alabama and Tennessee both. Tennessee got me on the hook, and Alabama laid down late. It would have been a really good week. Had a good read on those games, at least. And it was a winning week. So with that, we'll turn now uh, to this interview, Derek Terry of Cat's Paws. It was uh, a Richard Cross interview, but like I said, I can do what I want. You guys probably want to hear from somebody that covers the team, so you will get to do that right now. Here's um, Richard Cross. I know, I know. Uh, and Derek Terry of Cat's Paws. Really good stuff here. Where do you stand on on kind of this Kentucky team after just one game? Um, I'm a little surprised. I think at the how quick people are to write them off. I don't know how it was down there. I know Ole Miss played at the same time uh, as Kentucky, so I'm not sure how close people down there followed the UK game. Uh, I thought Kentucky did a lot of good things on Saturday, and that's not me trying to carry water for the program. I mean, they outgained Auburn. They uh, were over 60 percent on third down, uh, but really, where it got out of hand was mainly two. Two brutal turnovers. Um, Kentucky had a touchdown wiped off the board. Well, it yeah. wasn't wiped off the board. It just wasn't granted to him uh, on a play that pretty clearly was a touchdown. Two plays later, Terry Wilson threw an interception that was returned for a pick six, but a targeting uh, targeting was called after a review. So that was a big momentum play. I mean, Kentucky could have been up 14-8 to eight, uh, potentially going to halftime where they would have gotten the ball to start the third quarter. And then the one where it really got out of hand, Kentucky was down by two in the fourth quarter, and Terry Wilson – uh, an unforced fumble, just flat out hit it off his own knee, fumbled the ball. Auburn recovered it inside UK's 30 and scored. And then UK tried a fake punt for some reason when they were already down by uh, nine points and Auburn quickly scored. So that's where it kind of got out of hand. Uh, I don't know how high you were on them in the preseason. Like, I never viewed them as legitimate SEC East, like, could win it because I just don't think they're going to have the offense to beat teams consistently, like an Alabama or a Georgia. But uh, I still view them as a pretty solid team, probably five, six wins, which isn't going to jump off the page at anybody. But in a year where it's an all-SEC schedule, I think that would still be a pretty good year for Kentucky. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well. And and I kind of thought third in the East. I mean, it, it feels like Florida and Georgia are kind of the clear front runners. But, you know, mm-hmm. a, a fair amount coming back. I've heard it said multiple times that, that overall – this roster has more talent on it for Kentucky than any team that Mark Stoops has has ever had. Is that accurate? Like like one through eighty five. One through eighty five, yes, I would say so. But like, what this team lacks is there. There's no Benny Snell on this team. There's no Josh Allen. Uh, I think they have a really good group of solid players, but. I think offensive identity all year long, in turn, not, not necessarily identity. I think they know what their identity is. They want to run the ball. They want to take their shots when they can, when they pass. But they don't really have a true playmaker. Like Saturday at Auburn, uh, I watched the guy. I didn't make the trip to Auburn first time in a few years. I didn't cover a UK football game. But yeah. I watched it with my brother, and I told him. I was just saying, man, like at this point, you're down by nine points or whatever. Like who are they going to go to for a spark? And there's really no one right now, and that's probably the biggest issue this season. Uh, I don't think they have bad players at wide receiver. They just don't have anybody that really scares the defense right now. And until that gets cleaned up, uh, I think that's going to be fine against some teams that don't have great defenses because their run game's so good. But when it comes to playing a Florida or a Georgia or Alabama, it's going to be tough to beat those teams if you can't consistently throw the ball. 
I want to come back to what you said about receivers in just a second because that, I think, is a fascinating storyline going into this game What based on what Ole Miss gave up against Florida. But before – well, let's just do that right now. So Ole Miss gave up a ton of yards through the air uh, against Florida, made Kyle Trask look outstanding. I think he is outstanding, but made him look maybe even better than he is. Kyle Pitts is a pro tight end playing for Florida right now. The Gators were able to take all kinds of advantage of weaknesses from Ole Miss, primarily because they couldn't put any pressure up front on Trask in that game. Do you think Kentucky's got enough weapons to be able to hurt Ole Miss in the passing game? Because one of the things that jumped out in the box score from the game against Auburn for me is 40 pass attempts for Terry Wilson doesn't really strike me as what they want to do offensively. No, I would agree with that. It was a career high in attempts. I think if for Ole Miss, if pass rush is a problem, uh, it's not going to be a good sign in terms of getting. I mean, I think Kentucky's offensive line, especially the tackles, both those tackles, Landon Young and Darian Kennard, they're both going to be drafted uh, in the next yep. NFL draft. So those are two really good players. Probably the biggest difference, and this is you know not rocket science. Like <sighs> the good news for Ole Miss is Kentucky does not have anybody like Kyle Pitts. Uh, like you said, I don't think anybody does though. <laughs> no. Uh, but also, you know, they don't have a guy like Kadarius Tony though, or someone like that. Who, but, I mean, Florida had multiple guys who could hurt you. Whereas Kentucky, like, if Ole Miss's defense is truly just really bad, then like, yeah, there might be some guys who have big games this weekend. But I don't think Kentucky's gonna want to go to the pass near as much as what Florida did. Uh, that's just not their style. Uh, if if Ole Miss can't really get off the field, I think that's gonna be a problem for them because I would say Kentucky. Wants to really pound the rock, and uh, from what I can tell to this point, seems like Ole Miss's best, you know, part of its team is an explosive offense, and I'm sure Mark Stoops will want to do everything he can to uh, keep those guys on the sideline for most of the game. Derek, you were accurate in, in saying that I was not able to watch a ton of that game, only kind of highlights after the fact. But everything I've kind of seen in red looks like that opening drive by Kentucky was kind of a work of art, and my assumption is that that was scripted. So. After the first drive, do, do you think it was a, a, a function of adjustments that Auburn made and, and Kevin Steele kind of famous for being a great in-game adjustments coach on the defensive side, or was kind of the consistency in play calling different than that opening possession? Um, well, Kentucky moved the ball pretty well. I think they only had one three and out in the first half. Okay. They had one drive that got totally derailed by a, a holding penalty. I think Kentucky – had just completed a pass that was going to put them down into the red zone, actually. And as a holding call on one of the tight ends, brought it back. They uh, totally went backwards after that. And then they had that drive at the end of the half, of course, which I just talked about, where they didn't get any points uh, when they should have. So really, the first half, they moved the ball well. Now, the second half is where it changes a little bit. Uh, still a pretty good third quarter. I think Wilson went seven for, or, sorry, six for 10, 62 yards on a touchdown. But in the whole second half, though, Kentucky went from averaging 4.8 yards per carry in the first half to just, I think, 1.8. So that was a big change, whatever Auburn did. Uh, they were stopping the run. And when you stop the run against Kentucky and you're able to pin your ears back a little bit more, that's just not the spot Kentucky wants to be in. Uh, they're not really a team that quick scoring drives, uh, I guess I'm trying to say, are not really Kentucky's forte. Very methodical. It doesn't always have to be 10, 11 plays, but they don't really have the weapons, I don't think, at this point in the passing game to – to go on two or three play drives unless it's just a total bust by the defense. 
Derek, last thing for you, only about a minute left. Ole Miss pretty good offensively in their opener against Florida. They obviously gave up 51 but put 35, and there are a couple of possessions where they, they really left points on the field. What about Kentucky defensively and dealing in particular with the downfield passing game that Ole Miss showed last week? Yeah, Kentucky was not great last week, but they mostly let one guy beat them, Seth Williams. Uh, I know it sounds like the challenge this week is Elijah Moore, who's a lot different receiver than Williams is, but uh, that was something I think needs to be cleaned up. Kentucky statistically was good last year. I don't think those are true numbers, mainly because of bad quarterback play in the SEC and four games that were played in the rain. But I would say it's a pretty, I don't know if it's a huge advantage, because I think Kentucky's secondary does have some good guys, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Ole Miss uh, have a lot of success again through the air. And again, that was uh, Derek Terry of Cat's Paws with Richard Cross. Uh, that was recorded yesterday, for what that's worth. So, uh, thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. Always glad that you are with me. Again, don't forget to leave a rating uh, and a review. That would be very much appreciated. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Enjoy your weekend. Get it started at LB's. And have fun watching football. It's going to be cold in Lexington, so luckily you'll be down here in Mississippi or Wherever you're listening right now, I know a lot of you are scattered around the South. Uh, Beautiful day upcoming. 75 is the high on Saturday, at least uh, where I sit in Madison right now. So, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the football. I will do a post-game reaction podcast as well as uh, it'll be on Periscope as well. I'm going to try that this week. I don't know um, how it's going to go, but I'm I'm going to try to record the post-game reaction podcast while also live on Periscope. So we'll see how that goes. So be looking forward to that coming up uh, tomorrow. And then we'll be back uh, on a regular schedule on Monday. So I will uh, see you then and have a great weekend. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.